Okay, so we're meeting today and we are on week four, chapter three. I've titled it, um, God with us in the fire. Of course, today we're going to be talking about the fiery furnace and um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, But let's start off here with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for the day today. I thank you for your love as we think about today, kind of the day of love and just that we get to be together in your word. Um, You're ultimately love. So thank you. Thank you for today and these ladies. I would pray that your Holy Spirit would guide me as I teach and that um, you would be with the ladies, that we would have good fellowship and conversation and just be encouraging to one another, Lord. Help us feel your presence and help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Marcia taught about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right? He had a dream. Uh, He wanted his wise men to tell him what his dream was without him saying what it was, and then also to interpret it. And nobody could do it, okay? It was like in this impossible task. They went to Daniel, and with the help of God, Daniel was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream and also interpret it. In that interpretation, what do you recall as Babylon's position? What do you recall it? What was their position on that statue? The head, the head of gold. Okay, and that's going to be important to think about as we're looking at what's going to take place here in Babylon. So let's turn to um, Daniel chapter 3, and we're just going to look at 1 through 6 right now. Now, last week it was a clear message that... um, Babylon would lose their position, that other kingdoms were going to come into authority and they designated it by different metals, right? The bronze, the iron, the silver. It was a clear message. And um, so I want you to think about that as I start to read Daniel 3, 1 through 6. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. When the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing fire." So from what Marcia had talked about last week, what we just remembered that Babylon was in the position of gold as the head. What do you think? And you can reference your study guides, questions one through three. She kind of combines this basic question of what was behind the building of this statue? What was Nebuchadnezzar's motivation? What was going on, do you think? To show how important it was. 
to show how important he was. To solidify his power. To solidify his power. Establish loyalty among his people. How many times did I have to read Sad Traps Prefects? <laughs> because Daniel's point is he is both like the head and unifying all these people under him. Like I am the authority, you know, and part of me also thinks that this whole image of gold is a bit in defiance of God, right? To be like, I'm not just the head and let's get everybody under my rule and reign and worship so that, you know, you don't leave me, that that doesn't happen. You know, that kind of thing. Almost like a little bit of paranoia to build such a monumental structure is what's happening. And that he, in a way, is like God didn't want God to be in control. I'm going to make my fully gold statue here. Um, it's very much a statement of arrogance and pride of, you know, reflected on King Nebuchadnezzar. So the law of the land is that everyone has to bow down and worship when they hear the music. So let's continue reading and pick it up in verse 7 there. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers, or your version might say um, Chaldeans, came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of musics must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews among you who have you there are some Jews among you no there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon Shadrach Meshach and Abednego who pay no attention to you O king they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the, zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if, not, if you do not worship it, you're going to be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Okay, question four in the study guide. Who does it say told on them, so to speak? The astrologers. The astrologers. And why, what do you think motivated them to tell on these Jews? <clears throat> yep, jealousy that they are friends of Daniel and that God had given them special privileges where the exiles are mostly in a, supposed to be like in the servant position, but yet we find out that they are they are higher up. And um, last week at the end of... Um, chapter two there, verse 48, it says the king placed Daniel in a high position, 
position and lavish many gifts. Drop down to 49. Moreover, Daniel requested that the king appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the providence of Babylon while Daniel was in the royal court. Okay, so they're being elevated and it's straight up jealousy is what's happening as to why they're calling them out. And you have to look there too. They kind of added a little bit more than not just worshiping. They're also being accused of not serving and... um not paying any attention to the king, right? So it's kind of like this heightened tattletale. Like there's more, they're having their own reality here of what's going on. Um, they also too, that's why I struggled over that reading of that part is I noticed that like, they're saying the Jews that you have appointed, like kind of a bad decision, Nebuchadnezzar, because you did this, you know, a little bit risky there in the, the telling too. Um, kind of pointed out that maybe King Nebuchadnezzar made some mistakes, you know, that kind of thing. So um, how does the king react? In verse 13. He's furious. He's furious. He brings them in and he kind of does what to them? What does he give them? An ultimatum. He left for another second chance. He gave them a chance. Yeah, he kind of gave them a chance, ultimately an ultimatum, but you can tell that they were valuable to him, that they were, in fact, God gifted them and set them apart, you know, to say, like, you have a chance here to repent. Are you going to do it or not? Which um, is interesting. And then at the very end, what is when he says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? What is that statement? Because ego is as big as his statue. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she said his ego is as big as his statue. <laughs> he, was, he was challenging their belief, their faith, their God. Yeah, he's challenging their faith and their God. Like, he's the authority. Like, who's going to protect you? I'm the Almighty. In a little way, too, one of the... Um, the commentaries are ready. He, he's almost even saying he's above his own gods. Like what God would rescue you. I mean, he's got, like you said, this heightened ego and he's the ruler. He's the ultimate authority. So I want you to stop and think about this for a minute. Um, all through scripture, it's mentioned, um, Babylon's mentioned hundreds of times. And it's usually in this representation of Babylon luring people away from God. You know, it's like always this idol thing. It's always mentioned with that. Um, the great seducer of people. Um, it's represented as a great enemy of the Jews in the Old Testament. And then Revelation, a great enemy of the, the Christians as well, like a Babylon beast and all that's going to rise up. Um, almost like a stage ground for Satan, like just a home of Satan, Babylon. That's what Babylon is. So here we have this, this king who is demanding allegiance you know, demanding that they would worship his gods and worship the statue. And, and ultimately, if you don't, he'll just kill you. Okay, very much different from our God. Yes, we have choice of allegiance. He gives us a choice to be able to align with him. And um, so the right here, this statue is the ultimate expression of idolatry. You know, that it's this defiance of God that I'm not just gold of the head. I'm gold all the way through and I'm going to rule and reign with my authority over all. So how do they handle it? Let's look at 16. Verse 16, Daniel 3. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Wow. They don't have to answer to him. Because why? They answer to God alone. They answer to God alone. That faith, when you think about it, in the face of death, the ultimate test of your allegiance is going to be your life, right? Mm -hmm. They come at it with such courageous, you know, and that's what we're setting. How do we stand firm in the world of Babylon, how do we do it? So I want to talk about that. That's why we're studying this, is to look at that and say, how did you do that? How did you face that and come to that resound conclusion? Okay, so I want to talk about that. I, I want to be a woman that says, I don't serve you, world. I serve Yahweh. That's who I am. And I want other people to know it. And I believe that's why we're here studying this. How do we do that? How do we do that with such conviction that they had? So I want you to think about something. The statue that was built, did it happen overnight? No. 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 So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel saw the building of this. It took some time to build. It's plated in gold, okay? It's 90 feet high, 9 um, feet wide. It took some time and consideration, do you think there's a chance that they thought about what is this statue going to mean for me? What's going to happen? It's not a shocker that King Nebuchadnezzar has his ego that he does. It's not a shocker that they have many gods in it, you know, in Babylon. So before this particular um, event took place, there was some leading up and some thinking. And I want to go over how they arrived at this resolve and determination. So the first thing that I want us to turn to is maybe put a pen or something in Daniel here, and let's go to Exodus 20. <coughs> we know from what we talked about and what we read in, in Daniel that they did know scripture. Daniel knew scripture. He contemplated it. He says that in chapter 9. So they would have known of the Ten Commandments. Would somebody like to read Exodus 20, 3 through 5? I can read it. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So what's the first thing that they knew in order for them to have this resolve of we don't serve you? You shall have no other gods. You shall have no other gods. They knew the rules. They knew the scripture just as we do, just as that can be a help for us when we're faced with the Babylonian world and, and situations and trials. We know the rules. Okay, the second thing I want to look at is 
um, about having experience. They have experience with this. Um, in chapter two, they were going to be killed if somebody could not come forward and interpret those dreams. Or at least Daniel was going to be killed. And they saw God prevail and help them there. They had the testing of the food where they saw God help them there and show favor to them and help change the mind of the um, the ruler over them who was the guard. So turn to Jeremiah 25. <clears throat> This is what Barsha went over week one to talk about the prophecy that had been talked about, that they had known about, that it happened, that God talked about it before it even happened. So, of course, they have experience with God. God um, says what needs to happen, and then he follows through with it. So if it tells me not to worship idols, I have the experience of You've already done this. You've showed me. If you continue to disobey, you are going to be exiled. They have that experience of that, what I say goes. So um, Jeremiah 6 through 11. Jeremiah 25, 6 to 11. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made then I will not will not harm me. But you do not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have provoked me with what your hands have made. And you have brought harm to yourselves. Okay, so they know the rules. They have the experience that when God says something, he's going to follow through with it. In Exodus, when we read, it said, if you bow down, you will be punished. So decide for yourself, Right. Okay, the third thing that they have, when you think about how am I, us now, going to um, navigate this world and have strength, is that they also had each other, right? And the importance of having each other. That if something comes up that you're tempted with, reach out. Have an accountability partner. Have somebody that you trust. I have entrusted some things to Leah that I struggle with, and she can help and strengthen me with that. She's a fellow Christian. She understands where I'm coming from. It's not, oh, poo, poo. That's silly. The world wouldn't look at that differently, you know? But to have that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, to have that strength, that's important. Okay? The other thing is um, seeking God. Let's look at um, Jeremiah 29. So in Jeremiah 29, this is the letter to the exiles. I want to start in verse 12. Let's do 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So my best guess is that these men were seeking God in this trial. They saw what was being erected. Maybe they had some inside information because they were administrators that, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar was going to start to make them bow down. And they started making decisions before. 
and praying to God in that. And, and the other parts of Daniel speak to that. When um, in Daniel 2, um, Daniel said to them, let's, it says in um, chapter 2, Daniel 2, verse 17, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezriah. Notice the names. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. The mystery was in the King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But I don't doubt for a minute that what held them to their strong resolve, besides knowing the rules, having experience of God holding to his word, having the strength of each other, is that they were praying. They were praying for help and guidance in this trial that was about to come upon them. Same thing that we have. I was thinking, too, that Daniel urged them to seek God. You know, they didn't just ride on Daniel's coattails. Right. Good point. Did anyone hear that? That they did not just ride on Daniel's coattails. That Daniel said, let's pray. All of us pray concerning the matter. Okay. Um Here's, the, here's another thing that they probably did. They probably found hope in Scripture. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 43. I'm sure this is very familiar. This is starting in verse 2. <coughs> Wonderful help. So Isaiah 43, starting in verse 2, I'm going to read. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Jump over to uh, verse 10 in 43, same, same chapter. You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be any one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declared the Lord, that I am God. Okay. Hope in what God says that I will walk through the fire and not be burned. You know, that might, that might have helped them. And the other thing is to have that resolve of, I have chosen you. You are my remnant coming out. I have been with you. I have shown favor upon you. Be my witness that I am God. To have that resolve. And we can have that too. When we're in the midst of things that we need to be the witnesses and, and not be confusing, you know, and that's hard. I, I right? I mean, it, it is hard to have that strength. And um, these men are going up before death, and sometimes we're just going up before making small choices in our faith. And then finally, resolve. And for that, I want to say, I think these men were determined to be different from the beginning. Okay, and one thing that um, came up in my studies was Hebrews chapter 11. And what is Hebrews 11 about? 
The faith chapter, the men of faith. Um, I guess I didn't really realize this, but they're mentioned in there. So let's look at um, the people of faith. And I want to look first at 1113 and read this part. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. I can't imagine these men not thinking, I do not belong in Babylon. This is not where I want to be. I want to be different from Babylon. And then if you go down, um, they're mentioned on in 32, when he writes, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson. Oh boy, I shouldn't have picked that one, huh? <laughs> Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames. These were men that were determined to be different, just like we want to be women that are determined to be different. We want to be, yes, obviously in the world, but not of the world, right? So did these men have perfect resolve? Were they perfect? Nobody's perfect. They were just men. And I read in a um, commentary, which really made me think about all this, is that when you read in, you know the story, they did not suffer, okay? They did not suffer at all. But this commentary person brought to mind what took place, and maybe some of the suffering happened before the actual event. And you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, suffering, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? Scared just a little bit, these men probably were. Some of this probably took time over the building in the course of all this. God wanted them and wants us to make those strong, faithful decisions. So we're in that heat of temptation, you know, that um, we have roots. God gives us these trials and these situations to grow down deep roots. And, um, and when that happens... <clears throat> glory to be his name, right? When they had that resolve, they ended in that place that said, I am not going to obey you even to the point of my death. They had deep roots, just like um, what we need. And because of that, God's name was glorified. Um, so one of the questions she has in the books is what excuses could they have reasoned? Because sometimes this happens. We come into a situation where we're in a trial and we can justify and have a ton of excuses. What could have been theirs? I'm not sure what question it is. If you have answers to it. <laughs> but what, what could they have said? I can bow down physically, but not in my heart. I can bow down physically, but not in my heart. They could have said that. They could have said, well, if I'm a remnant and I'm supposed to be doing all these things, I'm no good dead. So, you know, therefore, I'm just going to bow down on the outside. <clears throat> and then you think about what did they stand to lose? Think of what they stood to lose. Let's just name some things. Their lives. Their lives. Their lives. Yeah. Their, 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 wisdom, authority. their wisdom, their authority, credibility, credibility, because there was a whole lot of other Jews there that probably bowed. That did bow. We don't, well, it doesn't say, but 
they had position too. You know, a lot of position and wealth and and all these things. They were um, going to lose each other. They were going to die. But that was all second to obeying God. And to me, that's like, wow, that is a big, hardest test of loyalty is going to be laying down your life. And they did it. And they did it with great resolve. But I don't think that we should think it was just easy peasy for them. I think of them as real men that had to walk through this and make a decision and that to encourage us that we can also do this too. Um, in Luke 14, 26 to 27, this is when Jesus talks about the cost of being a disciple. He has tons of people following him and knowing who he is, but he turns to them and says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be a disciple, be my disciple. I mean, is it hard for anybody? Yeah. I, I can say, okay, I, my father maybe, because I didn't really have one. <laughs> but my children, my mother, my sisters, you know? I was going to say, they may have had wives and children by this point too. So yep. I think that's what it's, you know, you're, you're giving up your life and leaving them behind because of your faith and belief. Yep. So I just got this book called The Emotions of God. And he goes through the first chapters all about what does it mean when God hates? And this very passage he goes through and he, that you just mentioned about Jesus in Luke 14. And he said, it's not, that you hate them it's that your level of regard for them is so much in theory not in practice necessarily in my life right you know so much lower compared to what your devotion is right to me love god love others it's mm -hmm. it's a second they yeah. are to be yeah. second yeah you know and i and you think about this and you can't help but have some conviction obviously right and um it's like, okay, do I do this? I mean, you're going to think, okay, so how do I show my love to my husband, to my children? Well, I spend time with them. I'm invested in them. I know things about them. I talk and I communicate with them. And then I think, Lord, am I doing that with you? You know, even just, just, just simply just working that out. And, and you can't help but say, I have an opportunity area here. I, I you know, I fall short. And pastor just preached on Jesus, the mediator, praise God, right? Before this, the God of all holy and me. <laughs> Thank God for Jesus. So these men had the identity fully assimilated into Babylonian culture, but living their old Hebrew names. Totally reverent to God, completely bowing down, <clears throat> living in Babylon, but not of it. Okay. So they have developed this deep resolve. And in, in Revelation 3.16, while I was hoarding on guilt from this first passage here, there's more. We're talking about <laughs> lukewarm Christians being spit out. You know, that whole verse where it's like, you're not one foot in, one foot out. And it's not easy. But I want you to think about I mean, we know the gain as Christians. We know that it's not easy to be a Christian, but it is 
it is magnificent, right? It's, it's everything that we are. It's who we are. It's our identity. But I want you to think about for a minute, these other Jewish exile men that didn't bow down, saw them go into the fire and get to be where, with whom, you know, and see them have that experience. So I think too, of, as, as a bit of encouragement to think about the reward of being able to really see God when you're faced with those temptations and able to walk through them with God being around you and, and, um, how wonderful that is. And that's an encouragement to, you know, do you guys know what I'm trying to say? Where you, okay, good. (laughs) Um, When I was thinking about those um, Jewish, those Jewish men that bowed down and they didn't get to experience that the horde of shame made me think about um, Peter when he denied Jesus, you know, and, and how that must've felt. It just, um, that's not what we want. So the courage, and encouragement to be able to face temptation with resolve, you know, with Jesus. So the second part of this lesson is going to be about the trials of fire, because we're going to go in and and, and kind of see this trial that was given to them. So I want to continue to reading. Let's pick up, um, get back to Daniel 3, starting in verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Okay, so at first he was kind of giving them a little out. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Think about how great I am. I'm going to kill you. You know, now they're just like... We don't serve you. So um, King Nebuchadnezzar's assumption was that their life was going to be of absolute value to them, that they were just going to, nothing was going to come before them actually dying. And so what happened when they decided not to bow? What happened to his authority? Right out the window. He no longer had authority and he was furious about it and he wanted them dead immediately. Okay, so um, it says um, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Now, oddly enough, some of the commentaries say that if he really wanted to torture them, he should have lowered the heat and had them suffer. But I'm like, oh, never thought of that. (laughs) But um, he just wanted them out of his sight is what I can imagine. Like, you don't bow to me. This is a this is a kink in my armor who else would stand up and say my life is not worth bowing down to you you know this is immediately I need to get rid of them with high heat okay so this made me think too about um when we stand against Satan in Jesus's name like you have no authority over me you know to be able to think um I have the victory you know, this has already been paid for. You know, it's something to think about. So verse, back to verse 21. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, trousers, turbans, and other clothing were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace 
that, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see a fourth man walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Okay, so here are these Jewish men facing this serious trial, just like we face trials. And what is the most common question that comes up when you're being tested upon your faith is why do these things happen, right? Why do these things happen if there's a God? Why do these bad things happen? Why was it not enough for them to be in exile? Why now do we have to put them through fire? You know, so we have to say and think about why do we have trials? So Let's kind of go through that. What is a reason that we have trials? What would be your answer? Why do we have trials? Strengthen our faith. Okay, to strengthen our faith. To make us depend on God. They knew, self-admittedly, that, you know, up in, in, up in the other verses where they said, he might not save us. He might save us. We need to depend on God. That either way, he's going to be there. Um, and you might want to write this down. In First Peter... One, six through seven, it says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer all kinds of trials. These have come to prove in genuous of genuineness, genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So there, it's for a strengthening of our faith, which is so important to God. You can't please God without your faith. So of course, he's going to work this out in us. And if we admit it, we tend to rely on ourselves. And when a trial comes along, you can clearly see how much weakness you actually have and how much you need God. Okay, so strengthen our faith. What is another reason? What was that? Be a witness. Be a witness and strengthen other people's faith. So this um, this trial. Let's let's just read three twenty eight. What happened here? Um, then Nebuchadnezzar said in verse twenty eight, when he saw that they were not harmed at all, he said, "Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent the, his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him." And defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Okay, so this was a huge witness to all these people to see that um, God was at work. And there's no, you know, when he said, what God is going to serve you well or protect you, Yahweh is going to do it. And that was a great witness that, you know, part of why this trial had to happen. What else are trials for? glorify God. Yep, to glorify God. Um, God identified with these men in the fire. And he loosened them and he delivered them. And it was a witness for everybody. He protected them beyond understanding. I don't even like to grill because the smell of smoke. And they're in a fire and not even smoke. The smell was on them. I think that is um, such an intimate 
interesting thing for Daniel to write. It shows the, it just shows how protected that they were in this fire. Um, in 26 and 27, let's go back up here. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the sad traps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and, and, and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces, and their house will be turned into piles of rubber, for no other god can save this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the providence of, in the providence of Babylon. So another thing there right at verse 30 is the other reason that we have um, trials. In James 1-2, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, this person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That was James 1-12. So yes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got promoted. They got a little bit of protection there. But the real glory comes in heaven when we've made it through those tests. Um, another reason that we have testing is, or trials is for testing. Okay, so re remember that um, the devil is gonna put, you think of Job, why does the devil put these tests in front of us? What is he trying to do? Make us trip, Make us trip. destroy our faith. But what is God trying to do? Strengthen us, build us up. It says in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fury, the fury ordeal that has come, come on you to test you, as though some strange, something strange was happening to you. In other words, we don't need to be surprised by this because God is doing a work in these trials. And obviously this is quite a hard thing when you're in the midst of the trial, but I think it's good to study on this and think about it and read the scripture so that you know when it's happening, it's not pain without a purpose. It's on purpose. And it's for your faith and your strength, which is more precious than gold. Okay, is so this, is this different than um, <clears throat> sanctification? Well, I think it's a part of it. I think it's a part of it that... Um, Nothing says more when a test come along where you're just like, oh, I am lacking in this area. I don't look like Jesus in this area. And God will use that, which the devil meant for bad, for good, for the sanctification and, and working of out your faith for his glory. And the other thing that I know my time is almost up, but um, I, I can't leave this without the beautiful image of the deliverance of God that um, they were bound in the fire. And just like us, it's a, to me, it, in a way, it's a picture of salvation. And, and can you see how I'm arriving at that? Like, even though they're going through the fire, they're not going to have that death. 
the 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 bondage and what um, Nebuchadnezzar was binding them with has been broken, you know, through. I, and is it is it Jesus incarnate? I, script or the it goes back and forth. Whatever, it's an act of God. Whether it was an angel, whether it was Jesus pre-incarnate, um, I'm not going to have an answer for that. But I do see a picture of what we have in Jesus here. It seems like this event also, what you're saying is of primary importance for our application, but when you look at the effect all the leaders felt from the king's pronouncement, it's kind of like Pentecost. Because all these people were gathered, Mm -hmm. and there were tongues of fire. Here we have these flames of fire, yeah. and there's this widespread exposure to the action of God. Yep, very. The witness of it is just that there was no question there, even for the hardened heart of King Nebuchadnezzar, and the decree to not go against their God. Yep. <coughs> if you didn't hear that, she said in a decree to go against their not to not to mess with them because <laughs> their God is strong. <laughs>